Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. These stories contain distressing themes and brief descriptions of violence. This content is not suitable for children, and listener discretion is advised. In August 2009, the body of David Lace was exhumed from Kingston Cemetery in Portsmouth, more than 20 years after he had died. Residents peered out from behind curtains as police stood guard. A blue and white tent covered the empty grave, and Hessian sacks hid the names of nearby headstones. There were rumours that Hampshire police were about to solve a case that had long haunted the nearby city of Southampton. Detective Chief Inspector Phil McTavish had begun the reinvestigation of a murder in Southampton 30 years earlier. With the progress made in forensic science over those decades, McTavish and his team were after one thing, DNA. But Lace wasn't the murder victim, nor was he the man convicted. So who was he? I'm Benjamin Fitton, and this is Murder Town. David Lace's family laid him to rest in 1988 with little closure on his death. Estranged from his family, he had lived a troubled life they knew little about. At a young age, Lace spent time in prison for a string of burglaries, including one where he held up a post office with a knife. He drifted around, never really settling. His death at 26 was ruled a suicide, but his brother and stepfather had trouble reconciling it, wondering whether he got into trouble and questioned foul play. Detective Chief Inspector McTavish had enough evidence to believe that David Lace might hold the key to a murder. Throughout his career, there was one case that everyone had thought was solved, but they were all wrong. The previous few months had seen the DNA screening of more than 100 people. However, this last piece of the puzzle would finally give the family of Teresa de Simone some semblance of peace. There was a nervousness about going into the winter of 1979 in Southampton 
as the scars left from the previous winter dubbed the Winter of Discontent had barely healed. A wave of strikes erupted across Britain, with workers rejecting the government's attempt to impose wage limits, bringing nearly all public and some private services to a complete stop. For the first time, lorry drivers, bin men, the NHS and even gravediggers refused to work until agreements could be made on their wages. The stress on the public was exacerbated when that winter became the coldest in 16 years, and huge snowstorms isolated towns across the country, with no one to clear the roads. As a result, supplies ran out and supermarket shelves went empty. Garage employees painted no petrol signs, and many pubs closed, cutting people off from the comfort they once had in socialising with friends during troubled times. By the winter of 1979, the strikes were over. Pubs were again filled with the chatter of after-work drinks, but the winter of discontent had changed people. A hard lesson had been learned about how quickly things could change, and many young people felt they needed to look out for themselves in times like that. They wanted more financial security, and it wasn't unusual to finish a day's work at a full-time job and pick up shifts at another. And this is what 22-year-old Teresa de Simone was doing on December 4th, 1979. Teresa had finished up for the day at the Southern Gas Board where she worked as a clerk and made her way to her evening shift at the Tom Tackle pub in Southampton. She'd started two evening shifts a week to help make extra payments on her new Ford Escort, which she'd parked in the pub car park before work. The pub was upstairs, and the small car park was one you drove into underneath the building, fitting two cars behind each other. Teresa lived with her mum Mary and stepfather Mario nearby in Shirley and had started seeing a local man. That evening after the pub closed, Teresa and a girlfriend who worked the same shift went to a club to celebrate another friend's birthday. They left the Tom Tackle together in her friend's car at 11, leaving Teresa's in the car park. With work the next day, they drank soft drinks until 1am when Teresa's friend drove her back to her car. The following morning, Teresa's parents found that she wasn't in her bed. Worried something was wrong, they drove by the pub and saw her car still parked underneath. But with the pub closed, they moved on assuming there must be an explanation. Just before 10am, the pub's landlord arrived to meet a delivery driver. He needed to move Teresa's car. As he looked through the window, he saw Teresa's body on the back seat and knew something was very wrong. Officers and a pathologist arrived at the scene where Teresa was pronounced dead. Only partially clothed, they would soon determine she had been raped and strangled. Swabs were taken for testing, and evidence was collected from inside the car. 
torn clothing, her handbag and a black hair comb were found, but Teresa's car keys and jewellery were missing. The watch, rings and gold chain with a crucifix she was wearing were all gone. The pathologist concluded that Teresa's cause of death was strangulation. With approximately 10 horizontal bruised abrasions on the front of her neck in a pattern matching the description of the necklace she was wearing, it was concluded that she had been strangled with her chain and not by the murderer's hands. Other abrasions suggested clothing had also been twisted and gripped against her neck. Local residents reported hearing screaming and the banging of car doors in the early morning hours. Another witness said a man walking near railings by the scene at the time appeared to be vomiting. Police launched an urgent appeal for witnesses and released pictures of Teresa's jewellery. However, they were careful to keep some details of the murder secret, so that if they questioned the killer, there could be details only he would know. Traces of blood in the semen found at the scene matched either blood group A or AB. Before DNA analysis was possible, blood grouping was the only scientific method available to help exclude suspects from an investigation. With Teresa being blood type B, investigators established that the suspect had to have either type A or possibly AB. If a suspect was any other blood type like O, the authorities could rule them out of the investigation. The problem was 30% of the population was type A. The immediate investigation saw everyone interviewed who had seen Teresa around that time. Unfortunately, Teresa's family and friends had no answers as to who may have been responsible and had been left shell-shocked by her murder. Police questioned all criminals known to frequent the area and trawled the databases for suspects. Two days in, a 28-year-old man, Sean Hodgson, had been arrested for stealing from a car. While awaiting charges, he stated that he had information about Teresa's murder and knew who had done it. The man he accused turned out to have O-type blood and was discounted. Hodgson, however, was found to have type A blood and so, as a matter of course, was interviewed. His prior convictions were mainly for theft and vehicle-related offences, possessing a weapon and others related to honesty and deception. Hodgson also had one conviction for unlawful sexual intercourse, or rape. But according to information at the time, because his prize did not reveal what the authorities considered any serious violence, he was not treated as a suspect. In the year that followed Teresa's murder, police carried out around 30,000 interviews. Yet no suspect was charged and the police were never any closer to an arrest. There just wasn't enough evidence on any one person. Following the one-year anniversary of Teresa's death, Hampshire police received a call from Wandsworth Prison. 
Sean Hodgson, still serving his sentence for theft, had asked to see a priest. He confessed that he was having nightmares and the face of a woman he had killed in Southampton a year earlier kept coming back to him. He then wrote down the following confession. After much deliberation and thought and confession with the priest here in Wandsworth, after all the trouble I have caused, not only to you, the police, but myself, the mental torture I have gone through, the family of the person concerned, I must, for my own sanity and the punishment I will receive for this horrible crime, wish now that it was me that was dead and not the person I killed at the Tom Tackle pub. I did the murder. Why, I don't know. So all I can say is let justice be done. Detectives interviewed Hodgson, and he made a further detailed confession to Teresa's murder. He also made another series of confessions of burglaries and rapes, some possible, some impossible. Records showed he had a history of lying, and although he had several mental health problems and had attempted suicide, it was not customary at the time to carry out a mental health assessment. In another note, Hodgson wrote, Nobody in their right mind would hold their hands up to murder as I have done with the thought of a life sentence. But I did because I did it. So you can do what you can to sort things out and get the wills in motion, as they say. Hodgson explained that on the day of the murder, he arrived in Southampton and checked in to a hostel. His description of the attack and the scene matched the evidence including the oval watch Teresa was wearing, which Hodgson said he sold at a pub the next day. Much of the information he provided was public, but when he gave details that police had been withholding, the case against Hodgson was sealed. For example, it wasn't public knowledge that Teresa's watch had been sold to someone in a pub the day after her murder. He was the first person ever to mention that. He also described specific injuries and the exact way her body was left, even describing a particular way Teresa got into her car, which matched the information given to police by her mother. Taken to the crime scene, Hodgson recounted his movements and sketched where he had dumped Teresa's diary near a wall. He also said he had made his way from the scene and been sick, which matched the earlier witness statement. One officer thought that while Hodgson was speaking, he heard him say that he had stabbed Teresa in the lower part of her body with something he found in the car, a description that was not consistent with her murder, but the conversation continued. While building their case... Police officers visited Hodgson several times to clarify parts of his story and ask questions about evidence. They asked about the black comb on the floor behind Teresa's driving seat. When handed the comb, Hodgson looked it over and said it was his. He showed the officers scratch marks of the letters R and H. R being for Robert, his birth name and H being for Hodgson. 
I had the comb examined under a microscope, confirming the scratches. They also discovered it was the type of comb distributed in prisons. The case was solid, and Sean Hodgson was charged with murder and faced a jury in early 1982. The Crown's case was that Sean Hodgson had broken into Teresa's car while drunk, intending to steal it. Instead, he had fallen asleep in the back seat, and when Teresa returned, he grabbed the back of her jumper, twisting it to subdue or strangle her. Regarding Hodgson's defence, he chose to make an unsworn statement that could not be cross-examined, something permitted at the time. He then retracted his earlier admissions and pleaded not guilty, saying, I would like to tell the members of the jury why I cannot go into the witness box. Firstly, it is because I am a pathological liar. Secondly, I did not kill Teresa de Simone. Thirdly, every time I have been nicked by the law, and that has been many times, I have made false confessions to crimes I have not committed and this is the reason why I am not going into the box. His defence counsel argued that the insider knowledge he had given of the crime was nothing more than intelligent guesswork, which he had gained on the case both in the media and by overhearing police discussing the case. The jury, however, found no truth in Hodgson's new claims, and after deliberating for just over three hours they found him guilty. When it came to sentencing, the judge stated, quote, I have no doubt whatsoever that you were guilty of this appalling, horrible crime of killing that girl. After the conviction, Teresa's family and friends picked up the pieces of their lives and tried their best to move on. Hodgson's appeal was denied, and for 27 years he moved back and forth between his cell, the hospital wing, and the psychiatric hospital continuing to deny his involvement in the murder. In 1998, after a breakthrough in DNA, his solicitors made an inquiry to the Forensic Science Services, requesting all exhibits for retesting. They were told that no exhibits had been retained, there was nothing from the original investigation. Ten years later, in March 2008, it was discovered that they were wrong. The exhibits were available the whole time. Feeling that a miscarriage of justice may have occurred, Hodgson's new legal team requested that the Crown Prosecution Service and Hampshire Police review the evidence in the case. The original paperwork that had survived was re-examined, and the evidence finally found sent off for testing. Almost 30 years after the murder, the swab still had enough traces of sperm for proper DNA analysis. They would soon know if Sean Hodgson was telling the truth, and that he wasn't Teresa's killer. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. 
And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Teresa's parents found out that the man they believe responsible for their daughter's death may not have done it after all and the true killer had possibly lived free all this time. In January 2009, the legal team received a letter from the Crown Prosecution Service. The semen detected in the swabs could not have originated from Sean Hodgson, because the Crown's case was based on the fact that whoever raped Teresa had also killed her, Hodgson's conviction was deemed no longer safe. Within two days, the court set a date for his appeal. As the Hampshire police reopened the case, Teresa's family had a difficult time dealing with the news. Her mother, 77 by then, stated, Our loving daughter and stepdaughter was cruelly taken from us nearly 30 years ago. We are experiencing tremendously difficult emotions at this time and are struggling to come to terms with recent events. When the DNA profile of the suspect was put through the new system, there were no matches to anyone else. Still, with the killer's DNA in hand, a new investigating team could comb through the original list of suspects and eliminate more people from the inquiry. It was now that Hampshire Police put Detective Chief Inspector Philip McTavish in charge and he reassured the public that with the benefit of the DNA evidence, they would utilise the advances in forensic science in hopes of finding the killer. However, as the new team re-examined the case, it became clear that earlier evidence about Hodgson had been overlooked. In 1978, a year before Teresa's murder, he attended a clinic after several attempts of suicide. He was assessed and found to have a severe personality disorder and was noted then as a compulsive liar. In 2009, at 57 years of age and after serving 27 years in prison, 
Sean Hodgson's conviction was quashed by a panel of three judges, and he was released. The DNA evidence spoke for itself. He left the rural courts of justice holding his brother's hand, who had stood by him for three decades. When asked how he was feeling, Hodgson said, Ecstatic. It's great to be free again. A breakthrough came in the case three months later in August 2009, when a partial match to the killer was made on the National DNA Database. This meant they had the name, not of the killer, but a close relative. When this partial match was cross-checked, they found a brother with a criminal profile, a man who had been in and out of prison through the 1970s. The brother had not shown up previously on the National DNA Database because he had died in 1988, before it was customary to save a criminal's DNA. There was a good chance that the killer may have been this match's brother, buried in the Kingston Cemetery in Portsmouth. But there was only one way they could prove it. They had to exhume him for testing. Only the second time a suspect in a historic murder inquiry had ever been exhumed. The results would take six weeks. Without naming the suspect, Detective Chief Inspector McTavish assured the public that as far as he was aware, the man had neither been a suspect in the original investigation, nor did he come from Southampton. The news came as a complete shock for the family of David Lace. Lace was one of six children born and raised in Portsmouth. After a troubled childhood at the hands of a violent father, by his early twenties he had become estranged from the family after several burglary convictions. The last time his brothers saw him he'd arrived in Portsmouth at 26 after working on a fishing boat. They didn't know he'd just been in Dartmoor for armed robbery. Lace told his sister he had done something terrible and told his friends he couldn't fight anymore, all conversations that no one understood the true meaning of. He was supposed to see the family for Christmas, but when he didn't show up, his stepfather and brother found him dead at his home. For years they had felt something was off and contemplated foul play, but with all this new information coming to light, they thought they might be about to get the answers to the questions they had long been asking. Teresa's parents worried that Lace being deceased might mean that all the answers were buried along with him. Mary spoke upon the possibility that Lace was the killer. If it is him, it will have saved us from a second trial. I couldn't have gone through that. The first time round was bad enough. After an agonising wait, DNA results showed that David Lace was a perfect match to the killer of Teresa de Simone. The chance he was not the killer 
a billion to one. As the old investigation files were trawled, a shocking discovery was made. David Lace was one of six men, besides Hodgson, who had admitted to police at the time of the original investigation that they were Teresa's killer. 18 months after Hodgson was sentenced to life in prison, Lace, living half an hour from Southampton in Portsmouth, was arrested for several burglaries. He told officers that he had killed Teresa and couldn't live with what he had done. At the time of her murder, he was 17. Police reports stated the following confession. The day before Teresa's murder, Lace claimed he stole the rucksack and cash from the place he was lodging in Portsmouth before walking to Southampton. At around 1am the following morning, he saw Teresa being dropped off outside the pub by her friend. He knocked on her window, asking the time before forcing his way in and locking the doors. DCI McTavish and the team were shocked to find that Lace had described Teresa and her clothing and how he had used violence to keep her subdued. He stated he had assaulted her before using a seatbelt to strangle her and removed her handbag and jewellery before hiding nearby for ten minutes. He then ran to the nearby train station and got a train back to Portsmouth. Evidence showed that this confession was not passed on to prosecutors for two reasons. One, that Hodgson had already been convicted, and two, because there were inconsistencies in his retelling of the crime. He had stated a different make of car and had been incorrect about how many doors it had. A blood sample would have shown that, like Hodgson, David Lace was also type A. They didn't take Lace's blood sample, but they did check a number of the other men who confessed to the crime. At the time, Lace's confession went ignored, and after serving nine months for the burglaries, he was let out only to hold up a post office with a knife. Lace's family said, We have been left shocked and saddened that David has been shown to have been responsible for such a terrible crime. We want to extend our condolences to Teresa de Simone's family. Of the real killer, Teresa's mother said, It's a shame for his family, having just found out all these years later. I feel sad, but I don't feel angry. He must have been someone with a conscience to feel the way he felt. The police believed the wrong man. Throughout the last ten months I never thought there was any hope, but police kept telling me there was always hope. Teresa can now rest in peace, and we can get on with our lives. In 2011... Two years after his release, Sean Hodgson sexually assaulted a 22-year-old woman. He was given a three-year community order with supervision, made to abide by a sexual offences prevention order, 
and had to sign on to the sex offenders register for five years. The following year, he died of emphysema. Off the back of Teresa's case, the Criminal Cases Review Commission created Operation Iceberg, with the aim of using DNA evidence in rape and murder cases from pre-1990. Iceberg then led to the review of 240 other cases. Sign up now to Crime and Investigation Play, the only dedicated true crime streaming service to watch brand new episodes of the TV show Murder Town. To start your free trial, head to crimeandinvestigation.co.uk forward slash play forward slash Murder Town. Once your free trial ends, you only have to pay the low monthly fee of £3.99 or you can purchase an annual plan for just $39.99. That's 12 months for 10. Again, head to crimeandinvestigation.co.uk forward slash play forward slash murder town. UK customers only. T&Cs apply. 18 plus. Subscription required. Payment taken if trial not cancelled. Murder Town is a Crime and Investigation original podcast. Hosted by me, Benjamin Fitton. Written and researched by Anna Priestland. Edited by Joel Porter. Produced by Kim Sargent. And series produced by Sam Pearson. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.